Most of you probably know my friend Margaret. Margaret is stepping into the ministry lead of our Rock Springs women. And she has um, seen God work and bring beauty from ashes in her life and the lives of her family. She is going to share her story with us now. Let's welcome Margaret. Thank you, everyone. I'm going to be honest and say that I'll try not to cry, but I probably will. Um, the last few weeks have been kind of a new awakening of that that you've kind of put at peace and trusted God for. But um, unfortunately, we love what we love, right? So the reason I'm doing this testimony is to give hope to the hopeless and let you know that no matter how much you love, no matter what, God carries you, and he will continue to carry you through it all. I um, didn't write this down, but I saw Carrie up here and stuff like that, and I remember what I want you to remember through this is the silliness that my daughter Tiffany had. She would tease and laugh, and I saw videos. People start recently sending me videos of her um, just doing funny, goofy things with her friends. And one time Carrie was there, and I remember she was trying to teach Carrie how to crochet, no, knit, and got frustrated. She's like, Mom, take over. Carrie isn't teaching me. So, poor Carrie, we didn't teach her. So, first off, I want to say that my heart is with anyone that has experienced loss of one's dear to your heart. May you continue to find comfort in desires and go on in faith. The journey that I'm going to share with you is over a four and a half year period, he, he has called us to remember that in Matthew 5, 4, it says, God blesses those who grieve, for they will be comforted. The beginning of our journey seemed like a nightmare and not reality for us. Tiffany was sick for a while, and finally after persist, our persistence, she called and said she needed to go to the ER. Sitting there waiting seemed like an eternity. Then finally came the words, cancer. Our world changed in a second. And everything around us seemed to stop for a minute. And I say for a minute because the overwhelming journey had begun for us. Tiff was admitted and immediately given three units of blood. She had lost so much blood. Her stay in the hospital uh, was overnight here in Cortez while they were searching for a place to send her. No doctor here nearby could take her. She was too far advanced. As I left to go home to pack, I could do nothing but sit on the couch as I was paralyzed and numb. Then came the call that we would be heading to Denver uh, with Tiff, her grandparents, her husband, and myself. The first big blessing uh, to start off this journey was at the other end would be a wonderful, faith-believing Christian man, Dr. Jeffrey James. He was a D.O. He was Tiffany's angel on earth. 
As we entered the office, we were welcomed with Christian music softly playing. Tiff was immediately at peace, and the relationship she formed with her, whom she called my Dr. James, was one she could always, uh, sorry, Dr. James was one she always stood on. Her trust that God was guiding him and comforted her for her relationship was one that was built for faith, on faith for both of them. He told Tiffany, we will push the envelope to get you all that you need. In our waiting for her to come out of the room, I went to the hall to tell God, I'm angry at you. And I yelled at him, why? But then I, it was then that I realized my family was going to need him more than ever. So I would have to trust him to give us the strength and walk in faith through this journey. Her first surgery was scheduled the next morning for a hysterectomy. Her stay was about two weeks long. It was uh, the visit before we left, uh, sorry, it was the visit before we left for home that her dad and I were told that we would be traveling back and forth to Denver every three weeks. Um, and that chemo was what they had prepared for the plan for her. Tiff and I were so thankful that we were going to be able to stay and see my sister and the one that she called second mom as she spent so many summers there uh, with her family. And she would say, Mom, the best part of this whole thing was seeing them every three weeks. My family loved her very much. And still do to this day. She was a glue for us all. My sisters all prayed for us. Some cried with us. Some didn't know how to handle it. But they were still with us in heart. It hurt their hearts so bad to see us suffer. My brother, my parents, my husband, her brothers, and so many were carrying us through. Tiff treasured every moment of her life, and although she didn't have children of her own, she had a stepdaughter and grandson who was the reason she was determined to fight like a warrior. Uh, they were her world. The trips in the beginning were, were smooth and precious for traveling with a daughter who loved to be silly, like I said, as she would dance in her seat and keep telling me, join in, Mom, just show your moves. Well, I would sometimes. Or we would play the game, name the song from years ago that we used to hear in church. As time went on, I saw the faith growing in us all, from my family at home to my sister who accompanied her dad and I to the appointments, or just Tiff, my sister. Sometimes it was just Tiff, my sister, and my grandparents, and our little Leilani. See, for I haven't told you the part about our little Leilani yet. She was my granddaughter and was loved so deeply by this family also. <clears throat> we all would go with Tiff to every chemo every three weeks. The nurses would laugh as we all entered from our family in Denver to... Uh, those that traveled to be there. They called, her, called us all Tiff's special chemo team. 
Faith was growing all around her. I never seen her ever give up. Tiff would never let us enter an appointment without encouraging words such as, remember, we will only uh, believe the report of the Lord. Or if I would look a little distraught, she would say, Mom, peace be still. I realized during this time, all the people that God was placing in her life was because she was a living testimony of who he was and forever would be. One visit I remember so uh, well was um, she was always thanking all the nurses and the, all the staff, whether it be the receptionist or whatever. She would always say, thank you so much for what you do for me. One day she told her special Dr. James, Thank you, Dr. James, for all that you have done for me. He rolled his chair in front of her and he grabbed her hands and he said, No, Tiffany, thank you for what you have done for me. It was the grace of God that brought you into my life. And I'm sorry that it was not what you would have planned, but you have blessed me. Then she made a relationship with even his wife, who was um, her dietitian. And it was so special. Tiff fell in love with her, and she fell in love with Tiff immediately. And she just couldn't stay away from Tiff. Even she called her when we were home and said, Can I please put your story on our website because of the love and trust you have in our God? So much so that she fell in love with her so much so that we, unfortunately, were going through COVID through this time. Not immediately, I guess, but there was a time that we were going through COVID, and she, um, uh, Dr. James said, Tiff, uh, his wife wanted to be with her just to say hello because she loved her so much. And he said, but because of COVID, we made the decision that... um, She needed to stay home. We have two boys. But much to Tiffany's surprise, she woke up the next morning, and there she stood in front of her, and she said, I can't stay away from you, Tiff. So that's the impact that she was making throughout the whole place, and what a blessing it was. Again, I'm going to tell you that Tiff never lost her sense of humor. She was living with us at um, the time, Um, she lived with us often. We all knew together that we all were pressing into the Lord. But he would give us moments of laughter. She would just love to see her dad and I smile. She would do the silliest things, like when she was getting her hair back, she would just say, come out. It was a poof ball. She was always jealous of her brother's hair because, both of them, because they had so much hair. But she came out with a poof ball and she said, who do I look like? And I said, like Tiffany? And she said, "Um, no, Bob, off La Bamba. (laughs) And so those are the kind of things we would shake our head. She did things just to make us laugh or one time she was upset and... Because of COVID, I think her dad and I had gotten sick, and um, 
we had big picture window in the kitchen, and she'd always come in, give us hugs. We'd say, put your mask on, Tiff, do whatever. No, but we made her stay out. And she just was upset at us because she would look through that picture window, and she acted like we were just torturing her because we made her stay out of the house. And she'd look at us, and she'd wave with her little wave, and we would just smile and say, Tiff, it's for your own good. Um, watching her faithfulness as she pressed in daily uh, in the morning, uh, we would watch her. She would go into her room, and she would, she would kind of reach out through the whole room because you would not believe that, that room was covered with sticky notes of everybody that she made a promise to that she would pray for. And pray for she did every morning. It was like a shrine. And I said, Tiff, how do you get so many names? And it was through Facebook, and she reached out to so many people, and people just around her, people wherever she went, Walmart, stopping in the middle and saying, I'm going to pray for you. And they would let her pray. Her dad and I would watch. I guess that's how we grew in our own faith, was that we would watch her as she would grab her, grab her coffee her Bible, her journal, and her music every day and go out onto the patio. She continued this for about three years. And then things began to change, more surgeries and chemo and much, much more pain. The night that things really changed for us all wasn't her cancer. It was her coming and banging on our door with the news that our granddaughter Leilani had passed away. What a shock. <laughs> we weren't expecting that at all. But this, just the devastation to our heart. We couldn't even comprehend it. Lonnie was 18, and she suffered with epilepsy, which was starting to bring more and more seizures. So on July 16, 2020, as she was alone at home, she had an, another grand mal seizure, and she didn't make it out. Our hearts couldn't deal with the thought of her being alone, but God in a dream showed me. Angels and the Holy Spirit were embracing her as she entered into his presence. Tiff and Lonnie were inseparable, so Tiffany said she would never be the same, she, and she wasn't. She said she had no fear of going to heaven to be with her once again. Tiff was flown out the day before Lonnie's service, so she was so heartbroken. She had to watch it with her aunt online. It was at this time my husband and I decided that we needed to do our best to be the same parents and grandparents, even though our heartaches through our heartache, we couldn't allow ourselves to go off the deep end because we still had Tiffany's journey ahead. Uh, and it was going to go on for a while because Tiffany's pain was becoming harder and she was suffering so much more. It was very much more intense. And it brought many more tears as we felt helpless and we knew that it was out of our control. And God would have to intervene. 
so we could not, sorry, so we have to intervene. So when we could not pray for ourselves, we, along with all of my family, would have to pray for her. I was so thankful to have praying parents, sisters, brothers, her siblings to carry us through when we ourselves were very tired. Sometimes the only words we could cry out were, or that Tiff could cry out as she was in so much pain was, God, I love you. I would pray over her whole body and ask God to remove her pain. And sometimes she would say, thanks, Mom. I feel so much better. But even if she didn't feel better, I would take her into my lap like a child. With tears, I would read scripture to her and shout prayers out loud on her behalf. Because, trust me, the devil was trying to step in because he saw she was weak and the struggle and struggled with reality because of the pain meds. Satan would try and remind her of her past so often. I would kneel before her and I would hold her face. My hands hold her, uh, sorry, her face in my hands, and I would remind her that she was forgiven because he was trying to remind her of all the sins that she had asked God to forgive her for. Um, one day, I had to tell her as I was kneeling before her, Tiff, God took your sins and he threw them into the deepest sea, never to remember them again. For you are a new creation in Christ And she would smile and say, you're right, Mommy, I forgot. Like I said, during this time, COVID hit, and the nurses, would they were so good to us. They would sneak us in and let us stay longer than we were supposed to. As long as we were quiet, they would even close our door and let us just sit by her side. Um. We didn't get to stay with her. She was so used to her dad and us and whoever was there, her grandparents, whoever. We got to actually sleep there with her. And, uh, but that changed. So we would stay at a motel across the street. And uh, I got a call one day. Uh, my sister was with me. And I believe my husband was on the way uh, We were at the motel, and I got a call from Dr. James asking me to please listen to him because my daughter was not hearing his words, and she never heard them. He said, the surgery that I'm about to have to take your daughter into because she was flown back out, he said, is something I don't know if I can bring her through. And she trusts me so much. He said, but I try talking to her. And she is always looking at the cup half full. He said, but I'm telling you, I want you to do your best to understand that he will do his best with God's help. And he asked me if I understood what he was saying to me. And I said, Yes, I do, Dr. James, but I'm going to stand with my daughter, and I'm going to tell you that I am also going to look at that cup half full because it will not be done until it's done. And if he chooses that, he will give his peace to deal with it. 
So again, I called out to my sisters, my parents, my church family, my brother, everyone. As she went into surgery, some of my family rushed to be with us, and her dad was on the way. We were covered with prayers. Then we sat for hours waiting, and I got the call from her special, Dr. James, and the other end saying she made it through. But I hate to tell you, but she now has ostomy bags, colostomy bags, feeding bags. And she will have to learn to live a whole new life. Um, the, the chemo continued on. She, she got a break from chemo once for two months, I believe it was. Uh, she, uh, they thought that she was cancer-free. They'd seen no signs of cancer. So she was so happy, she went, made me go buy a marker and wrote on my car, and she put cancer-free on the back of my car, and we celebrated. Two months later, we found out that she was not cancer-free, but she had a very large tumor behind her esophagus. That's where the big surgery came in. The last trip to Denver came with another surgery because her tube that was screwed in came out, which we had just had checked before we left. We stayed longer in Denver to make sure that it was in place. Her doctor led me to believe that the tube was pulled out. Um, I haven't told much of her life prior to her life with cancer. But my daughter, for many years, had lived in physical abuse from her husband. And it did not stop because of the cancer. We saw the abuse continue. I won't say more about that because we, her dad and I, have decided to continue to work on forgiveness for the abuse that we saw. Because she loved no matter what. On when her dad had to take her, like I believe it was three in the morning, he had to take her back to Denver uh, after the tube was out of her body. Um, and he had to stay. And he was doing his best to help her, but there were some situations that he couldn't help her with because it was she was his daughter and she was a female. Um, he called me one day and he said, Tiff is begging to go home. And I keep telling her, honey, we really are working on it. But then he said, I realized that she pointed to the heavens and said, no, dad, home. My husband had to come home, and I knew it was Tiff. She was begging so hard to come home for Christmas. Um, so 
my son was staying with us for a short time, and I woke him, and I said, we are going to go get your sister. We'll leave early in the morning. Um, so basically, this would be her last trip to Denver. When we brought her home, the trip was almost impossible. She could not sit still. She was lethargic. She was. She had gone down to like, I think, 98 pounds or something. But she just wasn't making sense of anything. So it was a really rough ride home. Uh, the drugs were definitely taking their toll. Drugs that I'm going to tell you that she refused to take until the last year of her life because she said she did not want to become an addict. And her doctor said, that is the least of your worries. So when she got home, she again came to be with her dad and I. And she was pulling tubes out, thinking that she was putting socks on, um, just different things. She just wasn't thinking. And so her dad and I would take uh, shifts sleeping two to three hours at a time. Two days later, her mother-in-law took her to Durango Hospital, where she said Tiff was in so much pain, but again, COVID, because she had taken her. We were not allowed in. Whoever took her was who had to stay with her. So we couldn't get to see our daughter who had disabled her phone because she was trying so hard to get a hold of us. And she disabled her phone. So we didn't get any contact with Tiffany. Um, but it, around 11 o'clock one night, as we had stayed awake all day and just had been praying, we get a call from a nurse from Durango Hospital who said, I have someone who wants to talk to you. Um, so on the other end of the phone comes her sweet little voice. And she said, Mama, I don't want you and Dad to worry. I feel so much better. They are taking such good care of me here. But I'm tired. And I said, well, honey... I'm glad you're feeling better. Please get some rest. Then I got a message from the nurse who said, we want to let you know, we have not taken care of Tiffany very long or very much in the Durango Hospital, but the blessing that she has been to all the nurses and the staff here is so amazing. We can't even tell you, they said. Um, and the same nurses came from Durango, or I mean from the Denver Hospital. Everybody loved her. Dr. James would run and get her popsicles, and they said they never saw that happen ever in their life. Um, her sweet favorite nurse was named Jean. She would bring her sweet things. She would just, Tiff gave her a vase. To this day, Jean still sends me pictures of the vase that she keeps flowers in. Um, or from the nurse, uh, a housekeeper that had been praying and was crying and didn't think Tiff saw her, and Tiff prayed for her, for the needs that she was needing. And 
the housekeeper came in and woke her the next morning and said, I've been praying for quite some time. We got answers this morning. So that was Tiff's faith. Uh, Okay. The journey that Tiff was on took her to so many places that we don't even understand. We didn't understand at the time. But doors opened for her. And her dad and I were discussing this not very long ago. Um, She reached so many people. And the one person that she would reach out to reached out to several more. I mean, it just grew like wildfire. Tiff never, never left anywhere without people knowing who her God was. On Tiff's final day, we got the call that we needed to come to Durango Hospital and go to the hospice home. They were moving her. So my husband and I took off. He came and got me. We took off there immediately. As we walked in, we could see that our daughter was leaving us. She was ready for her home. Her dad held her hand and was assuring her of how much she was loved. And she kept her eyes locked on him. I could only think to pray because the devil had reminded her that of her sin, and I didn't want her to remember. I wanted her to remember the things that he had promised her. So I would tell her, sweet girl, to be absent from this world will be to be in the presence of your Lord. And I let her know that her Lonnie was there waiting, and to remember that she would be in no more pain. And I knew it was time to let her go, as she had asked me and her dad once before. We had to make her a promise. Her only promise she asked from us was, promise me you're going to be okay. So here we are today, right? Um, I knew it was time to let her go, but my heart ached so bad. As I placed my head on her chest, her breathing was getting shallow. I knew I needed to tell Tiff in the words that I knew I needed to tell her something. So I told my sweet Tiff, in the words that you have told me so many times, peace, peace. And she left us. Her journey was done, but her new one was just ready to begin. The next few days were a blur. There were so many stories from her friends and people that just loved her of how Tiffany had prayed for them. Many, many calls to people or from people saying we are making plans to attend her service. I didn't even know some of these people that were calling me and leaving me messages or that were saying we're flying in. But let me tell you how much she was loved. 
Her, her service was filled with love, and the sanctuary was filled with people standing, so I would guess probably 200 in the sanctuary. There were 150 chairs set up downstairs, which were completely full and people standing. There were people throughout the halls and stairwells standing. And we were told that outside the sidewalk, there were so many people trying to get in. But they couldn't. The pastor that had the service were my parents' pastor because we hadn't had the church open, but... He, he forwarded something to me, and they had it online. And this is how much she reached people. There were 1,900 viewers watching her service. So God gave me peace that day. And I knew that upon her arrival to heaven, she was greeted with the words from her Lord. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So today, I'm here to say to you that we press, that we press in even further in faith without, with maybe not understanding the why still. I guess we never fully will. But we do know that her faithfulness isn't forgotten because her family and friends that she prayed so much for are coming to know her God like she knew her God. One of my daughter's favorite things to say was, not today, devil, not today. So today, as I say, stand here, I'm going to tell you that what we've gone through, not today, devil, not today. Because what the enemy meant for evil, God has turned it for good. That was our promises in Genesis fifty twenty. It was a long journey, so I haven't been able to share everything. But there's no need to. Um, all I can say is, in every situation, whatever didn't break us, has only made us stronger. And we will not let her testimony ever become forgotten or be a poor example of her faith. Thanks for allowing me to share. Uh, and just to remind you, we do serve a loving and faithful God. We never walk alone. do serve. We do serve an amazing and awesome God. Margaret, thank you for your testimony. Thank you for God working in your family and in your lives. We have now got our Rock Springs men's ministry leader, Carrie Townsley. He has also seen God work in his life. And when we're faced with crushing pain, how God can bring glory from this. Let's listen to Carrie's story. 
I'm a believer who struggles with uh, people-pleasing. My name's Carrie. I've got about seven different tests that I've gone through in my life. Fires, if you will. You know, if you're going to get beauty out of ashes, you first have to have a fire. So I'm going to talk about some of the fires. I'm not going to talk about all of them, but I'm going to talk about some of them. Uh, The first test I want to talk about is learning to love people that I hated. You know, when we were in elementary school, we were taught to duck and cover. And uh, we thought for sure the Russians were going to send an atomic bomb our way. So I learned to see Russians as the enemy. And I hated them. But in 2001, Lynn and I got an opportunity to go to Russia. And um, we decided in faith to go and see what God would do. By this time in our life, our daughter was married and she had a two-month-old baby. We'd been in Moscow for about three weeks. And uh, we got a call from our daughter. She'd been locked out of her house, and her and her two-month-old baby. And um, she was in shock. She needed a place to stay, but we were going to be in Russia for another three weeks. And so um, this fire that began to burn uh, in my life, the ashes of it burned away the, the prejudice and the hate that I had for the Russian people because I... I knew that we couldn't just drop what we were doing and go take care of our daughter. God throwing that in was just a bonus. We got to trust him to take care of her, and he did, and our granddaughter. But hating people that I didn't even know uh, was something that God began to burn away in my life. Another test that came about that same time was with my ex-son-in-law, Uh, Since he hurt not only my daughter and granddaughter, he hurt Linda and I. Uh, All I could think about was hurting him. (laughs) And um, have you ever had somebody hurt you so badly you felt like you just couldn't forgive them? That's kind of the way I felt. And it took years for that fire to burn out my desire to hurt him. And out of the ashes, I was able to forgive him. Not because he deserved it, but because I've been forgiven. So learning how to love people that I hate, I kind of got two doses in one. The next test over loss and grieving, I could really connect with Margaret's story. This test for me began in 2004. In May, I lost my dad. That December, I lost my mom. A month later, my sister. I was emotionally shut down, and I didn't know how to grieve. Our church had just gone through the purpose-driven life in the spring of 2005. And I decided, because in the back of that book, it talked about Celebrate Recovery. So I thought, I'm going to find out how to start one of those. Uh, So I went and got trained on it. I thought if it could help me learn how to grieve and how to find, help me find a way to give up control and live in faith instead of pleasing people, maybe it could help others too. So in June of 2007... My 33-year-old son was diagnosed with cancer. That was the second round of that. In 2010, Linda went to Lubbock. We were living in Dallas at the time. She went to Lubbock to see about her mom, and her mom was dying of pancreatic cancer. And uh, I was still in Dallas, and I would just gotten the news that our son 
wasn't going to make it. They'd done everything they could for him. And so my son and I decided to go to Lubbock to be with Linda and see her mom one last time. And when I arrived and first saw Linda, she looked pretty worn out and exhausted taking care of her mom day and night. And I had a burden on my heart. I knew I needed to tell her that not only was she going to lose her mom, she was also going to lose her son. And I remember being over at my brother's house. We were out in the backyard, and she just screamed at God, What more do you want from me? What else can I do? Nathan struggled with cancer until May of 2011. In the same week that we buried my son, I retired from my 39-year government career. Before my son died, he asked me to speak at his memorial service. Have you ever wanted to do something, needed to do something, and you didn't know if you were going to be able to pull it off? When my son made that request, I didn't know if I could do it, but God got me through that. After he died, I began to grieve in ways I never thought I could. And that fire burned during several years, and my grieving was intense, and it was something that I've never really gotten over. But what I did discover is, one day I looked around and there was a scar. And that proved that God was with me, and that he healed me from that, even though I still haven't gotten over it. At least there's a scar to prove that, well, God's there. Next taste test that I faced was my fears. This test began in 2006. I was presented with an opportunity to go to South Africa on a short-term mission trip, and everyone I talked to said, don't go. But there's too much violence going on there right now. The civil unrest led to shooting in the streets, but that was the very reason I felt like I needed to go. The task at hand seemed like it was impossible to accomplish in such a short time. Um, But while I was there, I faced the violence of civil unrest, the violence of extreme poverty, the violence of racism, and through it all, God was with us to accomplish the task to bring light into darkness. Next part of that test came in 2012, and it was in Mexico this time, San Fernando. the drug cartels had begun to move into this little town where we were involved in a mission work. And when we got there, the cartel had come in so strong that the police left. They didn't want to get killed. Um, gun battles broke out in the little school where we were teaching preachers how to preach. Uh, we relocated that school from San Fernando to Rio Bravo, Mexico, just across from McAllen, Texas. Uh, When I first got to Rio Bravo, I saw the police there. At least they were still there. They had some old Chevy pickup trucks, and they had uh, two armed guards, two armed policemen uh, armed with semi-automatic weapons, and then they had a third in the back with a machine gun, 50 caliber machine gun, bolted to the bed of that truck. And their policy was, we're going to shoot first and ask questions later. Um, But at least the police were there. I had a guy that was helping me. He was my translator, and he would also take me back and forth from McAllen across Rio Bravo into Mexico. His name was Manuel. 
After about two weeks of being down there, he began to get death threats from the cartels that had moved into that area, and he decided, I'm done. They're going to get my family. They know where my house is. They know the road that I take. And so he had to back away, and I felt alone against some overwhelming odds to continue and get done what needed to be done. The fire burning in my life at that time of facing my fears made me feel like I was on my own. But out of the ashes, I discovered that in every instance, God protected and blessed me as I made this journey, and my fears no longer controlled me. Next test was getting outside my comfort zone. That began in 2012. God gave me the opportunity to work with church leaders in the Dallas area to assist them in setting up their own Celebrate Recoveries. By 2015, so over three years, about 20 churches, uh, we had trained leaders and put them in place, and those churches were uh, developing their own Celebrate Recovery ministries, helping people with their own hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And then in 2015, the second part of this test came about when I was given the opportunity to help film a weekly TV show that would air in Iran. Um, I didn't have any aptitude or experience or training to complete this task. But in August of 2015, the first weekly show aired in Iran And by December of 2015, this program was being watched about 70 million times in the country of Iran. It's still on the air today, and it's being expanded, actually, into other countries because of the satellite's new capacity into Turkey and parts of North Africa. This fire burned away the limits of what I believed that God could do in my life. And out of the ashes, I began to see God can do whatever he wants to do. And it doesn't, it's not up to me, it's not about me, it's about what he wants to get done and how he wants to get it done. The last test I want to talk to you about is empathy and compassion. The test of empathy and compassion began in August of 2017. Lynn and I had just recently moved to Cortez and we had taken a trip to Orange County. Uh, we were at a Celebrate Recovery National Summit and we left California on a Saturday morning. We were headed back to Cortez and by the time we got to Vegas... Linda said, you got to get me to a hospital. I, my back's hurting pretty bad. And so uh, it reminded her of when she had kidney stones, and some of you may know what that feels like. We got her to Sunrise Hospital there in Vegas, and uh, within hours of being admitted, she had lost her ability to walk, and she hasn't regained the ability to walk properly since August of 2017. She spent a month and a half in the hospital in Vegas and another month in rehab in Denver. She was in a great deal of pain uh, during much of that time and was struggling to cope with um, what was happening to her body. When we finally got back to Cortez in October, I had even more to learn in dusting off my cooking, cleaning, and laundry skills. The fire, this fire burned up my apathy. You know how apathy can kind of creep in. You just don't care as much anymore. It also burned away my inadequacies. And out of the ashes, I learned that I, uh, a great deal more about how to love somebody unconditionally than maybe in the previous 50 years of our marriage. Uh, So in conclusion, out of the seven tests, I'm going to talk about 
what I learned from those seven tests. God's still shaping me. He's still refining me. And there will probably be other tests that I'll face before I leave this planet. But from these seven tests, here's what I've learned. Following Jesus isn't pain-free, nor is it easy. But following Jesus is certainly worth it. The only thing these fires burned up in my life were things that I didn't need, things that were holding me back. Jesus knows the things in my life that, I, that don't have any lasting value, and he knows how to bring beauty out of ashes. I didn't need the approval of others. I used to be a people pleaser. But now I'm free to live for the approval of an audience of one. I didn't need to selfishly try to get all the things that I wanted to be fulfilled in life with. I'm free to find real life by loving others and serving others as I've been loved and served. I didn't need to hate people that I didn't know. I didn't need to withhold forgiveness. Now I'm free to serve and forgive those who may seem unlovable, not because they deserve it, but because that's what God has done for me. I didn't need to be always the strong one during times of loss and grieving. I can come in my weakness to Jesus just as I am, weary with, weary with grief, and I'm free to receive the comfort and strength that only he can give so I can do what may seem impossible to do. I didn't need to fear what men can do to me. I'm free to fear only God and make a kingdom difference in this world. I didn't need to allow my limitations to keep me from doing what God was calling me to do. I'm free to go where he leads because he's with me and he's for me. And I didn't need to limit the times that I give thanks to God when things are going okay. Because God is with me even in the hard times, even when it gets tough. I'm free to give thanks in all things. The scripture that sums this up for me is Psalm 66. You tested us, O God. Tried us as silver, tried by fire. You led us into a snare. You bound us at the waist as captives. You let the captors set foot on our neck. We went through fire and water. Then you led us out to freedom. Whatever tests or fires that you're going through right now, I want you to remember that before every blessing, there is a testing. At least that's what I found. <laughs> Maybe you can uh, relate to that. But the only things that will be burned up in your life are the things that you don't need or the things that are holding you back. And out of the ashes, beauty and a blessing is coming. Would you pray with me? Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving me as a good father through all the fires in my life. It was by your grace and love that those fires didn't harm me. But they did burn away the things that were holding me back from living a life of blessing. Thank you for taking the ashes of my life and bringing beauty out of it. You've been teaching me in my whole life how to trust you and obey you. Give me the strength to finish strong. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.